thinking about, maybe for you, you like to read books. Uh, I'm more of a movie guy, so if there's a movie, I'll go watch the movie. But thinking about the books that we like to read and the movies we like to watch, think about the characters that we're drawn to, all right? I, I, I'm thinking of a few here. I'm thinking of Mowgli from the Jungle Book, you know, the little, little boy from the Jungle Book. You've got Annie from the movie, uh, the little redheaded orphan, cute little girl. Uh, Batman and Robin, we love Batman Robin. I saw a little boy with a Batman sweater on today. Anne of Green Gables, I haven't watched this one, I will admit that, but Anne of Green Gables. Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker, Cinderella, Harry Potter, Frodo Baggins, Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer. Look at all of these characters, and the question I want you to think about is as you, as you look at these, maybe this is bringing back some of your childhood, or maybe it's some of what you're into now. What do all of these characters have in common? And as you think about the movies and, and the stories that you like to read, there's also real people that fit the same category. Uh, thinking about Babe Ruth, thinking about Steve Jobs, thinking about Marilyn Monroe, thinking about Hamilton. Okay, out of all these characters, what do these individuals have in common? I'll tell you what it is. They were all orphans. Except for Luke Skywalker. He just thought he was an orphan, but he wasn't really an orphan. Because remember that was a line, Luke, I am your... Okay, sorry. I just spoiled the movie if you haven't seen it, but there you go. There you go. Um, every one of these characters was an orphan, ex- again, except for Luke Skywalker, but I, I diverge. Why, why does there happen to be so many orphans in the stories that we love? When we start thinking about these stories that we love to watch and read and the people's lives... Like, why are there so many orphans? I think because these characters, probably a little bit similar to us. Now, these characters, growing up as orphans, and this is what made their story so intriguing, is they wondered, man, does anybody really want me? I mean, I wonder if anybody really loves me. I, 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 these characters, all at some capacity, they felt, they felt restless They felt along. They had this longing to belong. They had a longing to be loved. They had a a longing to be accepted and and welcomed and wanted. All of these characters, essentially, they longed for a home. And I think when you look and see so many orphans in the stories that we love, I think this is probably why these are so deep inside of us. Because in some measure... I guess every one of us in this room have felt some of those same feelings. A desire to be accepted, a desire to be loved, a desire to be wanted, a desire to belong. We all in some capacity feel as if we are orphans. We long for the same things. We long for that acceptance and that love and that sense of belonging. And spiritually, that is exactly what we are. We are spiritual orphans. See, when when we were created, we were created for this intimacy with God. This is the picture of Adam and Eve and the Garden uh, of Eden, where there's this intimacy where they are roaming the Garden. They have this relationship with God. Then what happened when sin entered the world? They were cast out of the the Garden. There became this separation where, where, because of sin, it separates us from the intimacy with God. 
And the reality is, is ever since the time of Adam and Eve into the time that you were born, and however old you are, the what you've been doing in your life, what we all do is we try to fix what's gone wrong inside of our heart. We try to fix that intimacy void that's supposed to be filled by God. And so we do all sorts of things to try and, and make it right. To give us that, that acceptance, to give us that value, to give us that love, that sense of belonging. That's what we're going to be talking about today. We've been studying for the past couple of weeks uh, this whole idea of a gospel-centered life. Uh, trying to help us to, to grasp the depth and the impact that the gospel should have on every area of our life. And every area of our faith. That everything that we believe as Christians is not rooted in what we do. It's rooted in what Christ has done for us through the gospel. So we said this... Uh, we, Several weeks ago, we said, let's, let's come up with a summary of what the gospel is. And I asked all of you to write your own summary in 50 words or less. And, and this is what I came up with, so I'll read it. That, that the gospel is Jesus, God in the flesh, fulfilling scripture. He died in place of sinners because of his great love. And he rose from the grave, offering eternal and abundant life to those who put their faith in him. That is the gospel message. That is the core of everything that we believe as Christians. Everything that we believe, everything we do is rooted in that gospel message of what Christ has done in our place. So we've looked the last couple of weeks and understand the gospel in three different tenses. We said the gospel in the past. Which means that when, when Jesus lived his perfect life, and when he paid that penalty uh, on that cross, when he died in our place, and when he rose from the grave, that our identity, our standing with God, doesn't come from what we do. It comes from what Jesus has done. Where we don't approach God and say, God, here's my resume of all the good things I've done and why you should love me. Instead, we point to Jesus and say, listen, I haven't been a great person, but look what Jesus has done for me. And that's my standing because of what Jesus has done for me in the past. We looked at the gospel in the present. We said all the things that we want to change in our life, how we want to be a better person, how we want to overcome sin, how we want to break sinful patterns, how we want to do these different things, those don't come by us trying harder. They don't come by us trying to be a better person and following more of the religious rules. It comes by believing the truths of the gospel deeper and allowing them to sink into our heart. That's where that change that we all want comes from. And then last week, we looked at a gospel in the future tense. We looked at, at, at that we have this hope in the future that we would be free from the presence of sin in eternity. When God comes and gives us a new heaven, a new earth, and redeems everything that's broken here on this world. And with that idea, we're going to be looking the next month and saying, okay, if that's what the gospel is, if that's what the gospel has done for us, let's look at how the gospel begins to change us. And we're looking at this idea of, of a gospel identity. That because of what Jesus has done, that, that God actually changes who we are deep on the inside. He changes our identity. Giving us this idea that God isn't just concerned about what we do. God is equally, and if not more so, concerned with who we are. Are. This is why in the scriptures you see uh, Jesus say that we are a new creation. That we are given a new identity. So we're going to be looking at a couple of weeks and understand what is that new identity that God gives us because of what he's done for us on the cross. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, who really cares about identity? Like, why does identity matter? 
and this is something that is, is true in life, is your being always precedes your doing. This is why identity matters, because your being will always precede your doing. What we do is because of who we are. What you do reveals the truth of who you are. You, your actions are on the surface level, but your actions, what they're really doing is they're showing you who you are on the inside. So when you look at situations in your life and you look at how you respond to whatever situation, that is actually revealing what's going on inside of you, your identity. So we're going to spend this time understanding how does the gospel change our identity? How does it make us a new creation? And today we're going to look at the idea of uh, because of Jesus Christ, that our identity changes and we become a dearly loved, adopted child of God. That our identity becomes not just that God is our, our master, not just that God is the God that we subscribe to, but actually God becomes our father and we become his son and his daughter. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open to the book of Romans, uh, the book of Romans. Again, if you're looking for Romans, uh, there's this great thing uh, that the printers gave us in the Bibles. It's called a table of contents. Uh, I encourage you to open up the first couple pages. Look for the book of Romans. You'll find it uh, in the, the second half of your Bible. In the book of Romans, Paul is writing to a church. He's writing to a community, a group of people very much like our own. Uh, our own. And this is a group of people who struggled understanding their identity in God. I mean, they understood who Jesus is. They understood what Jesus has done. And Paul has been teaching them about the gospel. But they really struggled understanding their identity of God. They, they struggled figuring out how do we relate to God? What does this relationship look like? There were some in that church in Rome uh, who, uh, like many of us, they viewed God as a master. They viewed God as a master who must be obeyed. And we become his slaves. And we have to do everything he says because if we don't, we're in trouble. And so there were some in the church there who viewed God like this. And then there are some others. Uh, these would be uh, 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 Gentile Christians. And they viewed God as kind of this distant deity. Like here we are on this earth. And there's a God somewhere out there who sent Jesus to die for us. But he's not really concerned with our everyday life. He's not involved with what's happening right. He doesn't care about what's going on right here and right now. And Paul began to understand Man, this is where this church is. You've got these people, some of them view God in this way. You've got other people who view God this way. He says, man, they're missing this idea about identity. They're missing the idea that your being always precedes your doing. And so before Paul gets to the point where he's going to tell them what to do, before he says, listen, this is how you live the Christian life, what he's going to do, he's going to tell us who we are because of Jesus. He's going to tell them what their identity is. He's going to tell them how the gospel changes their identity. And that's what he's going to tell us today, that our gospel identity is that of a, a, a child of God. And there's three things, Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at, uh, be able to understand. First, uh, that because of what Jesus has done for us, uh, that we become a child of God, it becomes our new identity. Being a child of God becomes our new identity. Look at verse 14. The Apostle Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. If you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. See, don't, don't, don't miss out on this. 
The, G, Paul is saying that if you have encountered Jesus, if you have come into a relationship with him, that, that you have this new identity as a child of God. And don't miss the opposite side of this. That if, if there are some of us that have a new identity of being a child of God, there's also the reality that not everybody is a child of God. There are those who are a child of God and those who are not a child of God. He's saying there's two types of people out there. Children of God and those who are not children. Now, I know oftentimes in our world today, we have a misunderstanding of what that means. We would look and say, well, God created everybody. So everybody's a child of God. And yes, we are all created in his image. But first John, or the book of John chapter 1 says uh, that all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There is a differentiating factor of what determines whether you are a child of God or not. And it centers on what Jesus has accomplished for us. So what does it mean for us to be a child of God? I mean, is, why is that such a big deal? And there's a story, uh, there's a woman by the name of, of Anne Graham uh, Bell, Anne Graham Lotz. Uh, her dad, you may have heard of her dad, his name is Billy Graham. He was a world-renowned evangelist. He preached to millions and millions of people who died earlier, earlier this year. But Anne tells a story that I think helps to understand for us what it means to be a child of God. She said that uh, people, would people would find out where her, her dad lived. And they would come from all over the world. They'd go to North Carolina. They'd drive up this long driveway. They'd get to the gate and they'd ring the buzzer on the gate. And they'd say, hey, Billy, hey, Billy, we read your books. Billy, Billy, I, well, I watched you preach on TV. Billy, I went to one of your crusades. Billy, Billy, I've heard all of this about you. Uh, and I've come here now. Would you... Can I come in and talk to you? And Billy would say, well, well, I don't know you. You're like, you're not family. You didn't make arrangements with me. I'm sorry, but you can't come in. But then when Anne, when she drives up that same long driveway, and when she pushes a little buzzer on the gate, and the phone comes on, and she says, Daddy, it's me. It's Anne. And the gate flies wide open. And, the, and she's welcomed home. Why? Because she is a child of the Father. And it changes. There are privileges. There are opportunities. There's a relationship that is different when you are a child. Billy was a lot of things. Billy was an evangelist. He's a legend. He's an author. He, he was a confidant to countless presidents. But to Anne... First and foremost, that was her father. That was her dad. And her identity changes everything. It puts her on a completely different footing. Listen, that is what Paul is saying about our new identity as a child of God. That we are put on a, on a completely different footing with, with God. That we are his sons, his daughters, his children. And you know what you do when you have a dad like that? You can approach with boldness. You can approach. You have an in with God. You've got privileges with God because of your relationship. Because you're the son or the daughter and he's the father. You have this unique relationship that nobody else has. It means he cares for you. 
means he provides for you. He protects you. There's times he's going to correct you because he loves you. In fact, there's a uh, renowned theologian, J.I. Packer, and he describes this father-child relationship this way. He said the, the father and child relationship is the highest privilege that the gospel has to offer. He says it's even better than being forgiven. He said, see, uh, any judge can pardon you. You can go to any courtroom and a judge can say, okay, I, I pardon you. That doesn't mean the judge has to like you. In fact, you can go into a courtroom and the judge can say, okay, I find you innocent. I set you free and the judge can still hate you. But that's not what God does. Not only does God forgive you and pay the penalty for your sin, but then God does something unbelievable. He brings you into his family. He loves you. He becomes your father. So where Packer said, to be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God, the father, is even greater. Do you recognize all that he did for us? He didn't just stamp us free. He said, no, yeah, you're forgiven. And I'm also going to bring you into the family. Where you become my son. You become my daughter. The good news of the gospel is not just that we were forgiven, as great as that is. The good news of the gospel isn't just that we go to heaven when we die, as great as that is. The good news is of the gospel is that we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Where we enjoy becoming children of God with all of the privileges that come along with being a child of God. First thing about our gospel identity is we are given a new identity as a child of God. Second thing that Paul is going to say is we are given a new experience of being a child of God. Now, again, when you're reading the Bible, you have to understand the context for which it was written. Uh, the Bible wasn't written just to Restoration Church in 2018 in Yakima, Washington. The Bible was written many years ago. And this, this, ta- this book of Romans was written to a very diverse church. The original audience, you had these Jewish Christians. These Jewish Christians looked at their ancestors, and they had all these stories of how his, their ancestors had experienced all sorts of discipline because of their disobedience to God. In fact, there's a, the great overarching story of the Old Testament where, where God brings uh, the, the, Jewish, the, the Jews into the promised land. They give them this beautiful land, a land flowing with, with, with milk and honey. If we know the story of the Old Testament, man, they blew it again and again and again. And God corrected them. And God kicked them out of that land and said, you have a consequence for your decisions, for your, for your sin. And so for, for, from that time forward, every time the Jews tried to get right with God, the Jewish Christians, they had a specific view towards God that focused, hey, God is the master. And we have to follow all the rules. We've got to follow the letter of the law and focus on doing everything just right. And they had this fear towards God. They were afraid of him. Afraid, hey, if we make God angry, he's going to chastise us. And so that's half the church in Rome. The other half of the church, they were uh, Gentile or or non-Jewish Christians. And this was a group of people that viewed God as distant. God somewhere out there. God sent Jesus to save us, but, you know, he's out on planet Neptune, and he's 
doing something different. He's not really concerned about what happens in my life here in Yakima, in my situation. And so this is what Paul says to them. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. See, Paul is saying to those of us who might fear God, for those of us who might view God as being a master and we've got to obey all the rules or God's going to be angry with us and send us to hell and, and punish us. What Paul just said is, is, is adoption changes us from having a spirit of slavery, a spirit of fear, a spirit of have to obey all the rules to a spirit of childhood. I mean, you ever, you ever felt an insecure relationship? You ever been in an insecure relationship? Like, you, like we know how awful that is, right? And Paul is wanting us to understand with our relationship with God, you don't have to fear God. You don't have to relate to God out of fear. You don't have to have that dread, that sense of inadequacy and a servitude. He's not your master that you obey. He says he's your father, and that changes how you view him. And Paul says to those who would think of God as being some distant deity out there who's not really concerned about us, He says, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba is a very personal word. It's a word that a child would, a young child would use to their father. Paul says we call him daddy. He's, he's not just our father, he's dad. He's daddy. I mean, how, how would things change if you viewed God in that light? That he's our dad. He's daddy. Listen, I recognize there's someone here. You've had a bad experience with your dad. And I'm sorry for that. I really am. But I want you to understand that, that, that God as father, as Abba father, is not defined by your father. In fact, every father on this earth is a failed example of the great father, of the good, good father of God. So don't bring your experience, allow your experience to be redefined by God. Because, because Paul said, he's our Abba Father. He's our Daddy. You know what happens when a little kid runs around and they fall down and they scrape their knee? Who do they call out to? Mommy, Daddy. Dad brings you forward, sits you on his lap. Say, Dad, would you kiss it better? Like somehow that's going to make it better. Like that's a magic formula. If you kiss it, it gets better. I think the best Example of what it looks like to have an Abba father. Uh, with, with four boys in my family, we, play, we do a lot of Little League baseball. A number of years ago, my brother-in-law was, was coaching. And he's out in the field. Uh, his son's playing. I think he's coaching third base or something. And, and, and his family is out in the stands watching the game. And he's coaching. And there's a foul ball that gets hit. And it flies over. And it hits his daughter in the leg. It didn't hit her really hard, but it hit her in the leg. You know what? You know what my brother-in-law did? Okay, he sprinted at like Usain Bolt speeds. Like I've never seen the man move that fast. He leaps the fence in a single bound. In the middle of the game, jumps the fence, scoops up his daughter. Honey, you okay? Honey, 
I'm here. Daddy's here. That's what it's like to have a daddy. A daddy who says, I don't care. I'm going to jump this fence in the middle of the game. And I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to make sure you're okay. Make sure you know you're loved. As I think about all the roles that God fills, God, God as Father is probably going to be the hardest thing for us to grasp. Accepting that God is our Abba Father, God's Daddy. I mean, God is teacher, sure. Like, we can understand he's the teacher. God is king. I mean, absolutely, he's a king worthy of honor and praise. But as father, man, I, I find myself at times, I just don't know what to do with that. God is my father. Because if I recognize God as father, that means I have to come to him with, with empty hands. That I don't come to him and say, Dad, would you love me? Would you care for me because of all the things I do for you? No, I come to dad and I say, dad, here I am. And dad says, I love you, son, because you're mine. First John three says, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we shall be called the children of God. Not because of what we've done, (laughs) but because of grace. Paul includes a little bit of a caveat in verse 16. See, part of my story is, as I grew up in the, or I was adopted out of the foster system as a, as a young child. And uh, my adoptive family, my dad died when I was nine years old. And as I think about my parents, my adoptive parents, my dad was my hero. My dad is still my hero. My mom is a saint. The fact that she committed to me and my siblings and raised us through all the teenage years when you put her through all the garbage we put her through. She's a saint. But if I'm going to be honest with you, being adopted, it doesn't matter how great my mom and dad are. There's still this struggle inside of me. There's still a dialogue that often happens in my heart, and I don't think it's just me. But there's this dialogue in my heart that says, listen, you're not really loved. You're not a real son. You're not loved as much as a biological child. You're not loved as much as someone else. It becomes this, this, this battle inside of my heart. Satan is described as a father of lies. And he fills our hearts with all sorts of lies. And we start looking at our resume. We start looking and thinking, man, what about all the times I failed my parents? What are all the times that I didn't do what my mom wanted to? Man, there's no way I'm loved. There's no way that I could view God as, as Abba, Father. And here's what Paul says to that. Verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. See, again, we've talked about the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And we like to look at the the big, grandiose things that the Holy Spirit does, that the Holy Spirit would would, uh, raise someone from the dead, will heal someone of the sick. And listen, the Holy Spirit does those things. But you know what the Holy Spirit's more miraculous, everyday thing is? Filling our hearts with truth. Reminding us. 
That's what bears witness means. It's a fancy word that means he reminds us that we are the children of God. That when Satan fills our hearts with lies and says, listen, you're not worthy. You can't really be loved by God. That the Holy Spirit in our heart reminds us of the hope that we've experienced. Of the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. Of the fact that we are his child, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. This is a miracle of the Holy Spirit. And listen, I hope you've experienced that. I hope you've had times where you have this strong, powerful, overwhelming sense of your relationship with God. Because that, that, that intimacy with God, that isn't reserved just for the elite Christians. That isn't reserved for, for the pastors and the elders of the church. That's for every one of us. That we would experience that intimacy with him. Of the Holy Spirit affirming in our hearts, you're loved. You're loved. You're accepted. You belong. That gospel identity of a child of God. Not only is that our new identity, not only do we have a new experience of experiencing him as our father, as our dad, but we also have a new destiny. Verse 17, Paul says, And if children, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. Listen, when we are adopted as a son and daughter of God, Not only do we become a son and daughter, we become an heir. An heir to all that God has promised for Jesus. Now, we talked about this last week. We talked about the gospel in the future tense. That because of what Jesus has done for us, there's coming a day that we are free from the presence of sin. Again, this is the idea. Heaven isn't just us floating on the clouds somewhere playing harps. Heaven actually is that this earth, this, this earth is going to be made new. It is going to be redeemed. That God is preparing the new heaven and the new earth right now. That actually the very fabric of this broken planet with, with cancer and corruption and divorce and despair and poverty and pollution, all those things will be done away with. Revelation 21, we, we read it last week. In heaven, when the new heaven and new earth comes, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither there shall be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Listen, this isn't the inheritance just for good people. This isn't the inheritance for religious people. This is the inheritance for the children of God. That's our destiny because that is all Jesus' destiny. And we are co-heirs with him changes our destiny but then paul adds something to verse 17 and as i and as i look at this passage i'm like paul don't do this paul don't add that like paul you've just had this beautiful message listen we are sons and daughters of god we have this new experience and we we have a new destiny paul that's amazing stop right there like stop right there because i'll be able to take that message and man everybody will want some of that but paul doesn't do that He adds, at the end of verse 17, there's a condition. He says, And if children, we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may all also be glorified. Now, just going to be honest, I'm actually glad that Paul brings up suffering. 
Because I know maybe some of you have perfect lives. Maybe some of you placed your faith in Jesus and then everything has always been easy. And there's been no problems in your life. That's not been my experience. In fact, as I look at scripture, I don't think that being the experience seen in scripture. And I love that Paul included this about suffering because I think the Bible is is real about our problems. The Bible is real about the situations and the way that life goes in real life. Yes, we are adopted. Yes, we have this experience where where God is our Abba Father. He's dad. He's daddy. and, And we view him like that. We have a relationship with him like that. Yes, we inherit all things. But that doesn't exempt us from suffering. In fact, that's what the gospel does. The gospel enables us to face the hard realities of this world rather than just denying that this world is a difficult place to live in. In fact, what Paul is saying, listen, Paul is not saying that we earn our status as children by suffering. Rather, he's saying by suffering, we prove that we are his children. By suffering, we acknowledge, man, you're still the good father. Think about, think about your own kids. Think about, there are times your kids have to struggle. There are ten, times when your kids don't do their homework. You can't go and take the test for them. You have to let them suffer a poor grade on the test because they didn't suffer because otherwise they'll never learn. You ever think that perhaps God in his infinite wisdom, who can see the whole picture, looks down and has a plan for whatever you're going through? Here's this idea about identity. Is do you understand yourself? Do you understand your real identity? That because of what Jesus has done for you, not because you're a good person, not because you read the Bible more than somebody else, not because you're a churchy person, not doesn't matter what kind of dad you had growing up, whether you had a good dad or a bad dad. Do you understand that because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, that being a child of God is our new identity. It's our new experience. It's our new destiny. Doesn't that change things? Do you ever have a hard time believing that? Do you ever ever have a hard time experiencing what it's like to have an intimacy with God because he's our dad, because he's daddy, because he's Abba, Father? Listen, I'll just be honest. I have to constantly remind myself. I have to wake up first thing in the morning and remind myself, I'm a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. And every day I am one step closer to reuniting with him. One of those things that we have to learn how to condition ourselves to remind ourselves again and again when we wake up, I'm a child of God. When we lay down at bed at the end of the day, I'm a child of God. When we're in the middle of our workday and things are going hard, I'm a child of God. When we're in a relational conflict, I am a child of God. When you think about if we would actually allow this truth to sink into our heart, of the intimacy with God. Think about your worst days. Think about the worst days. Listen, some of you, that's all you're having right now. You're in the worst season of life. Think about the worst days when it feels like the marriage is falling apart. 
feels like Satan has filled your heart with all sorts of lies. Depression has overtaken your soul. You get hit by a foul ball. If God's your daddy, all you have to do is cry out. And he's going to He's going to scoop us up. He's going to hold us. He's going to remind us you're not alone. Say, I got you. Abba, Father, means he's not distant. He's the one who loves us, who's willing to jump over, over the fence. Think about, think about raising your own kids. Listen, as, as amazing and as wonderful as being a parent is, at least for me, there are days when I'm completely overwhelmed and I have no clue what I'm doing. But if I recognize I have as a father, it means I've got a dad. I can say, hey, here's where I'm at. Help me figure this out. I don't know what I'm doing. How do I love these kids right now when it's hard? Think about the days that are good, the seasons of life that things go really well. I think about my little girl. My daughter, you know what she'll do? She'll come home from school and she'll want to tell me about everything that happened. Well, so-and-so did this to me today and, and I had this for lunch and, and we talked about this and, and, and I'm sitting here thinking, wow. She's all these things she wants to tell me and they're so exciting. We have a dad who will sit and listen to every word hanging on every exciting thing in our life. And he's not going to be the dad who's playing on his phone. He's a dad who loves to hear our heart. Who loves to hear what's going on. And if we have God as a father, that means when we go through seasons of suffering, it's not going to crush us. Because he's a good father. And we know he wouldn't hurt us for no reason. We know that in his wisdom, he sees the big picture. He knows that we need to go through this right now. Just as a good father knows his kids need to learn some things as well. I want us to understand what it means for our identity to be rooted in the fact that we are a child of God. Not that we have to fear God because he's some master that has to be obeyed. Not that God is some distant uh, deity somewhere out there, but God is our father. Changes everything. One last quote from G.I. Packer. He said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child, of having God as their father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and their prayers and their whole outlook on life, that person does not understand Christianity well. Father is the Christian name for God. I want you to have that experience, that new identity of not just knowing God as a master, but knowing God as Father. Because it completely changes things. We're no longer as God, someone to be followed and feared, but now he's someone to have a relationship with. Let's pray.